0: Our sermon text this morning comes from the book of Acts, chapter 2. i will start at verse 40. Read through the end. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Those who are being saved. God bless our word.
1: So, some years ago, I had—I um, was a young chaplain. I had an opportunity to uh, go take a class, and uh, it was a counseling class, and the. The gist of the class was this. It was called solution-focused counseling. Has anybody ever heard of this? Um, all right, good. Well, this will be new. Um, the general, the general gist of it was to give chaplains a tool in a fairly short amount of time, uh, in which they could counsel someone in a fairly short amount of time, because in the military, you never know how long you may get one session with somebody, you may get five sessions, but very rarely are you going to have an opportunity to spend, you know, six months or a year working with somebody. And so they wanted to give you kind of, all right, uh, a tool to get person from point A to point B as rapidly as possible. And so uh there's this style of counseling called solution focused counseling and in the first session what you're supposed to do is you you sit with the person you listen you kind of try you try your best to discern what is the issue and then what you get them to do is tell you what would it look like what would it look like if all of that were to go away or to be transformed or to be changed and you were to be where you wanted to be like what What can you, what would you imagine it to look like without the issue? Right? And then, once they are able to tell you that, which is really the hard part, so you're gonna spend that whole hour, hour and a half, getting them to dream up, kinda, you know, find what's in their heart, what is that going to look like? And then you begin, in short order, to craft steps to get to that point. All right, so now we know what, where we want to be. We, we, we want to be out of debt, let's say. All right, so let's put together a plan to get you out of debt. Or let's find out, you know, you need a, you want to get out of this relationship or you want to get in that relationship. You want to marry this person, but you're scared. You don't know what it looks like. Or you have a, you, you know, you want to cross train in your career, career, whatever it is. Here's the end goal. Now let's find out how to get there. So, And the book of Acts right here uh, in the section that, that Russ just read for you, it's amazing because what you essentially get is you get a picture of a healthy, spirit-filled church. You get the end result. I mean, this is what it should look like, except it's at the very beginning, right? So the church is up and running. It's right out of the gate. Uh, it's there in Jerusalem. And what we have is we have a picture of what... A, a really good church looks like and so almost in a sense what it is for us is it's that solution it's the end game of what we want to look like as a church now when you hear it you're going to go, well we do that and we do that and we do that and and we do we do all of the things that you're going to hear about in this section so it's the challenge is going to be okay so what do we do what do we do with this so let's just talk about what uh, what is kind of laid out for us here, and, uh, and I'm going to give you uh, four points. If you find that uh, bulletin insert, you can write them on that or however you, you know, if you want to write these down, but uh, I'll give you the four points kind of as we work our way through them, and, uh, and they go like this. A, a healthy, spirit-filled congregation is a learning congregation, a loving congregation, a worshiping congregation, and an evangelizing con- uh, congregation. Now, that's really boring, so we're going to mix those up, and we're going to say it this way, okay? Because some people in here love acronyms, so we're going to go with an acronym, and the acronym is WELL. We want to be a WELL church, a worshiping church, evangelizing church, loving church, and learning church. How about that? Um, so that'll help you kind of hang. So let's just talk about worshiping. If you look at the section... Uh, and you look at the passage. One of the things that you're going to see is that they came together and they worshiped. Now, you don't hear anything about them singing hymns, and you know there's all of the things you and I think of in terms of kind of that traditional worship service. Are you don't necessarily see those things right here in the passage, but they're there. Verse 42. <clears throat> they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Now, that's the first indication. Now, when you read that, though, you could think, well, okay, so they got together and they had meals and they prayed. Um, Except that the text gives us just a little bit more than that. If you have an ESV translation or maybe American Standard, you'll notice that it says uh, in there, and they devoted themselves to... A breaking of bread and to the prayers. Anybody have that? Y'all see that? Uh, You can actually refine it a little bit more because the ancient text says, and they devoted themselves to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. They both had the definite article, and so there's something specific in view: the breaking of the bread and the prayers. And so what's most likely 99.99% sure what's being referenced there is the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist. They were getting together regularly and they were breaking the bread of the Lord together. And they were praying the prayers of the saints together. So They gathered together regularly, daily, the text says, and they broke this bread and they said these prayers together. And what that tells us is, right out of the gate, this community of believers that's being formed and fashioned, 3,000 have just been added to their number, so it's a rapidly growing number. They are getting together for worship. Worship matters Worship is important, and we see it right here in the early church. Now, there's several other things that are kind of going around there as well, um, and and uh, some some aspects of this are: where did they meet? All of the believers were together; they had everything in common. Uh, verse 46: Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Okay, So they were together, they were worshiping God. Now, just stop there for a second and think about, think about that. Jesus has just been crucified. He has gone into the grave. He's been resurrected, appeared. Period of days, some 50 days have gone by, uh, we have the ascension of Jesus, um, and, and right after Peter preaches a sermon that Marian went over with y'all last week, right after all that happens, they are already seeing the importance of the supper. He, he's six, what, let's just say 65, 70 days gone. And they're already celebrating the sacrament of the Lord now they didn't do it this way, and I guarantee you they did not have a nice table at the front with a cloth over it, and it wasn't all already like this. they were all together in the same place, and they were probably having a meal, and they framed it in the lord's supper language they 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 talked about it as the as if they were taking the body of the Lord and they were drinking and Doing all of this in their celebration of that supper, which Jesus himself had separated or celebrated with the apostles not two months prior. Significant. It's a significant piece of our worship that he gave to us. That with our eyes and with our ears and with our tongues and our hand, we would participate in his death. It's an amazing part of our worship. Don't underestimate this happening, this sacrament that he's given to us. Uh, so important that they began to celebrate. They could still see him in their mind's eye. They remembered what it was to, to, for him to wash their feet for them to be with him to eat a meal with him they knew jesus they remembered him and now they celebrated him in this supper it's remarkable and they did it at the temple courts which is seems a little bit odd right because there you have a whole another sacrifice that's going on so we're not quite sure why they went there but they went there um, they went to the to the courts of the temple perhaps because they knew that there they would encounter Jews and they would have the opportunity to share this good news. Or maybe they went there out of habit because that's that's where they worshipped God. And now they it was being transformed, and so they went there. Most certainly they didn't participate in the sacrificial aspect of what was taking place at the temple, but they went there and they sought to worship the Lord Jesus at the temple courts. That's a formal aspect. The informal part is they did it in their homes as well. They got together and they broke this bread and they said these prayers and they worshiped God together seemingly wherever they were at. And then he gives us a little bit more. So he tells us that they did it. He tells us where they did it. And he tells us the spirit with which it all took place. They broke bread in their homes, they ate together, and they did it all with glad and sincere hearts. Verse 47, praising God, and what was the result of that? They enjoyed the favor of all people. So here they were, getting together in this worship. They they are they're they're cutting new lines, massive you know, earthquake fault sized lines in their religious ground that they're breaking. I mean, Jesus has turned everything upside down and they're doing it with an incredible spirit, a joyful spirit, a joyful heart. And, and at the same time as they do it, the world is, okay, think, Jewish world. I mean, just imagine they go up to the temple and hear Jews participating in the sacrificial system at the temple, and oh, the, the these new, in '70s terms, Jesus freaks have their little section of the temple courts where they're worshiping, and so all of this is going on together, but in miraculous form, they're not offensive to everybody. They're not offending all of these people. They're not rubbing it in. Instead, because of the nature and the way in which they're conducting themselves in this, um, with glad and sincere hearts praising God, they enjoyed the favor of everyone around them. What if, what if the church today enjoyed the favor of everyone around them? Wouldn't that be beautiful? I'm afraid we might that might not be happening. And some of it might be on us. Some of it might be on us. So, a healthy, spirit-filled church is a worshiping church. The second part of the equation is a healthy, spirit-filled church is an evangelizing church. And you see this both at the beginning, that first verse that Russ read, and this last verse that Russ read. Because in verse 40 it says he warned them, he pleaded with them. This is Peter and the the apostles, and they're preaching, "Save yourselves from this corrupt generation." Verse 41. Okay, now think about that. That's part of the message. Okay, so somehow they were able to communicate this message, and still everybody had a had a pretty good relationship with them and thought well of them. Verse 41. Those who accepted their message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added. So they have a big influx of believers, uh, people trusting Christ after Peter's sermon. But then what we learn when we get to the very end of the passage is, in verse 47, and the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. Adding daily to their number those who were being saved. Now, a couple of things. First, you'll notice in the text, verse 47, who is adding to their number? The Lord. Hey, one of the things that I said when we, as we work our way through the book of Acts is ask yourself the question, what does this text tell me about who Jesus is and what Jesus was doing? You're going to learn a lot more if you ask at least those two questions. So in this passage, what is Jesus doing? Jesus is responsible in his work at the Father's right hand for the salvation of men and women everywhere. He's the one that is adding. He is the Lord, and he is the one who is adding to their number daily. He's the one at work. They're praying to him. We've already seen that down through the book of Acts, uh, these first two chapters, specifically in the second chapter. They are praying to him. And they're asking Him to be at work. Not only are they praying to Him, asking Him to be at work, they are preaching sermons about Him to the world around them. He's the focus. He's the total center focus of it all. And here, He's adding to their number daily. Evangelism was, and, and we're going to see, we don't call it evangelism, Here, maybe we should have the evangelism ministry team. George, we can talk about that. We call it outreach. Because evangelism sounds much too evangelistic, I think. (laughs) So we call it outreach. But here they were, people streaming in, hearing the gospel message, and they're being saved. I don't know about you, I want that. I want people to hear the gospel here and to come to know the Lord Jesus as their Savior. And I hope you do too. It can't be, it's not a program. It can't be something we prime up once a year. You go, All right, here's our evangelism for the year. It has to be something in our DNA. And I'll just say, Lots of churches struggle with that being a part of their DNA. But let's pray that it will be a part of ours. So there are a couple of things. He added to those who were being, to their number, those who were being saved. So there was, there was a, a, a transition, there was a transformation happening in the lives of, of people. But it doesn't stop there because he doesn't save you and leave you out there. He adds you to the number, okay? So you don't get saved and then go about and and live adrift and and remain out on your own. You must be connected. Likewise, you can't be connected if you're not saved. If if, If regeneration hasn't taken place in your heart, if you don't have a new heart, then, then you can't be a part of this and it's not to be exclusionary it just doesn't make it just doesn't make sense right it doesn't belong and um, and so those two things were happening and, and those those are instructive for us right because Christians were never God doesn't bring you into his family and then leave you out there somewhere. He brings you all the way in he connects you to the body. And so that's what we want to do. We want to be connecting people who come here um, to the body because that's the way that God intended uh, for us to be. We're, we're interdependent upon one another. Uh, just a, a day or so ago, someone was talking about this, and they were saying, you know, <laughs> the, the last thing we want is to teach our children to be dependent uh, or independent. We want them to, to be dependent on the body. Now, we know what they mean, right? When we say that, you know, we want to teach our kids and grandkids to be uh, independent. You know, uh, Yes, we want them to know how to, you know, control their bank and spending and to walk out and meet somebody and all of that. But we really want to teach them how very critical and important it is to be a part of a functioning, healthy, spirit-filled body. It is critical to your development as a Christian. You will not grow. You'll have every spiritual disease known to man if you aren't connected to a healthy body. So, we learn at least that about the church's evangelizing. The the third thing is, A healthy, spirit-filled church is a learning church. And it's right out of the gate um, there in just the first uh, couple of verses, right? Uh, They devoted themselves, verse 42, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. This group of 3,000 immediately comes to faith, and what do they do? They enroll them in the Gospel Apostles' Academy. And they begin learning. You say, now what, what was there to learn? Huh. There was oh so much to learn. And Peter kind of gives us a little bit of insight in his sermon that Marian did last week, right there in the first part of Acts chapter 2. Because if you read that sermon, it is a mind-blowing sermon. I mean, he's essentially saying there in that sermon that God is responsible. God is the controlling entity responsible for the death of Jesus. And, oh, by the way, so are you and I. Mind blown. First sermon, Acts chapter 2. You know, some people would never recover from that because it is, it's incredible. But when you connect it to the Old Testament, when you go and you look at the Old Testament Scriptures and you start going, aha, why, it was there was there all along it was written in the pages of scripture and and oh by the way peter's just referencing back to all of that what is your biblical theology how connected are you to seeing that whole picture of god's unfolding plan and the parts and pieces and the players well that's what they were learning that's the academy that they were rolled in enrolled in so that they would understand who he is and about his coming and what he had accomplished Really good stuff this morning in the Roman Sunday School, uh, Romans chapter 10, uh, as Glenn was teaching on that. Just tremendous amount of stuff because you have these Gentiles being grafted into the the new Israel and, and the new Israel resisting that because of who they were and the leaders they had and the law they had and they thought they had it all locked down and that all of that stuff fitting together. They had tons to learn because they had tons of baggage. And I don't know about you, but I still have tons of baggage. I still have all kinds of places that need shaping and influencing. And the Word does that. And that's what they were doing. They were learning the Word. They were seeing it applied. And they were right there at the apex of it, opening up their world. And so they began to learn about their new faith. Um, You know, it's easy it's easy to want to feel your way through the Christian life. Here's how I feel. This is this is what this this made me feel this way. Um when so much of what is going on is coming through here and affecting the heart. So many times what we seem to want to do is kind of reverse that and let our hearts lead and direct us and and That can lead us in some really dangerous places. I don't know about you, but my heart will be all over the place. I mean, if I let my heart lead me on a Sunday morning, half the time I'd just go back and get in the car and go home because I'm like, you know, I'm terrified this morning or I'm, I'm, I'm scared of something or I, you know, if I let that own me and direct me, it would, I'd be a mess. But there's great truth in the gospel, right? I'm accepted in Christ. And not on the basis of this performance or that performance or, or the other performance. You, you know this uh, to be true. This uh, in life experience. Not long ago, was, I heard a story. Um, it, it had to do with, do with a chaplain that I that I knew, and uh, this person was asking me. Like they they said that they asked a question. They said, would it be normal? Would it be normal for for a chaplain you didn't know to come to the parent to the funeral of your parent, and just sit in the hall and and, and kind of sit and wait? I I thought about it and I said, well, you know, it, I was trying to be protective, you know, like, well, I, you know, just, he was just trying to probably show his care and concern for you and all those sorts of things. And there was no context, right? But if that chaplain had a relationship with the person and had told them, look, you know, I really love and care about you and, I, and you know, and, and they had a there was a relationship there and there had been information exchange. And then if the chaplain had gone and sat outside on a chair and waited for all of that stuff to go on, oh, now it would make a whole lot more sense, right? Well, you, you would know what was taking place. Why? Because the knowledge that you had that had been given to you by that person would shape their actions. And that's true here. It's true in the way that we go through life, right? Understanding who God is, what God has done for me, enables us to feel and to know the right things at the right times. Because sometimes we feel like complete failures. That's how you feel. I I feel that way at times. Lord, how could you love me given X, Y, and Z? what I've said and what I've done. Oh, and then I remember. He does love me. He loves me because I am in Christ, right? And, and he hasn't turned his face from me. I've probably turned mine from him. Because what he tells me in his word is, nothing can separate me from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus. And then he gives this amazing list of things that can't separate. So why would I think my saying that or doing that or thinking that has separated me from the love of God in Christ Jesus? You see? So that knowledge is really important. Learning the word. Knowing who God is. What he has done for us. And all of those things. It's not just so we can win at Bible trivia. It's so that our hearts can be deeply affected and moved in the moments where our emotions would tell us and lead us in the wrong direction. All right, here's the final part. The Spirit-filled church is a loving church. They loved one another. How did they show their love to each other? The text tells us that as they had needs, they sold all their stuff, and they gave it to each other. Everything they had was in common. Now, this is not a command for us to liquidate everything and to bring it all here and uh, and let's just all have it in common. I mean, there are some things I wouldn't mind if you had in common with me, okay? If you want to share those, that's good. But um, but that's not the command here. The command isn't go and liquidate and live in a commune, okay? That's that is never. Have there been people along the way who have chosen to live that way? Yes. Is there anything wrong with that? Not particularly. Is there anything right with that? Not particularly. Hey, that's not what the text is telling us. The text is telling us as the church was getting started and there were needs, they liquidated possessions in order to meet those needs. Real love moves and acts to meet real needs just makes sense. You know that. You know instinctually that it's one thing to say, I love you. It's another thing to say, I love you. Oh, and here I am going to help you meet that need, right? When someone does that, when they say this and they do that, they're communicating the full weight of love because love acts. And and it may not just be that they give you something. It may be that they provide something in your life for you but they love you beyond the mere spoken word they do something for you they invest in you they help you and that's what is going on in the text the text is here are all of these people these new believers are flooding in and and they're all there together some of them no doubt had means and some of them didn't have means and so what they said was i want I want to I want to help them along. And so they began to liquidate what they had, and they helped each other through that period of time. Because imagine what's going on. Some of them are losing their families because they've left them, because they have now accepted and are trusting in Jesus. All right? And you know when that happens, sometimes it doesn't go well with your family. And so there were no doubt all kinds of divisions beginning to strike out and take place. And so the church mobilized itself in order to help alleviate that sort of suffering in their midst. And that's how the church showed its love to one another. Now, where does, where does all that, what, what difference does a well church What difference does a well church make in your life? Well, I hope it makes all the difference in your life. And here's the thing. When you hear about this, and you're maybe processing and you're thinking about our church, because that's what I would think you would be doing, okay? Uh, Are we a well church? Are we a healthy, spirit-filled church? Do we reflect those things? And here's the question. Because you have to break it down into, into its constituent parts. Who is the church? I am. You are. Right? And so it becomes a very personal thing. Are you um worshiping joyously? Because as, as you and I bring individual parts to the whole, we make ourselves either a sick or a well church. Um and 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 just begin to think, right? Think big picture. Because the last thing I want to do is just like drop some law bomb on you, okay? You need to be, you you know, uh, the well church just as a way to, you know, twist your arm behind your back and make you feel guilty about something you're not doing. But think about it this way. What is going on in the book of Acts? And how are we now today in 2018 participating in that? You see? Because what we want to do is, is have that bigger vision. He is still building his church. You and I are getting to be a part of that expansion of the church right here in the Lake Area. I mean, props to John Kinzer for seeing and thinking. I want a Bible-believing church. Bible, be- and there may have been others. I don't. I don't I'm not. A Bible-believing, gospel-teaching, evangelizing, worshiping faithfully, loving church right here at the lake. And so let's start it. And some of you were there. And now here we are. And think of all the people that have intersected with here, and they've gone to other places, and their lives have been changed because we were a well church. We want to continue that. And so as we move forward, as we think about this, we are participating in the building of the church. What a glorious opportunity. What a beautiful thing. And we get to do it this morning by remaining connected both to the word, what he's called us to do and be, and to the sacrament, what he's done for us. All rolled up in one this morning. Let me pray for you. Father, we want to continue to be that Spirit-empowered church, Spirit-filled, from You, driven, directed, loving, learning, evangelizing, and worshiping in ways that bring honor and glory to Your name, in ways which are so very good for us as Your people. We pray, that you'll continue to build us and that you, Holy Spirit, will continue to invest in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Our hymn is hymn.